0: Hi, and welcome to Democracy, the podcast that shines light on some of the darkest challenges facing the fight for democracy around the globe.
1: Democracy will and must prevail.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening, direct from Washington, D.C., with support from our friends at the United States Agency for International Development through the Global Elections and Political Transitions Award. I'm your host, Adrian Ross. Do you know that more than half of the population on Earth is under the age of 30? Millennials worldwide are the largest living generation in the workforce, and today 1.8 billion young people make up the largest youth count in history. So if we're going to be talking about real democratic representation, we have to think about Generation Y and Z and the whole ABCs. They've already got a head start in Libya, where the country's most trusted organizations, the Boy Scouts and Girl Guides, are doing their part to combat hate speech, fake news, and disinformation. We'll get the full report from Tripoli, and then we go back to school in Ukraine to check out a college class that's changing lives. Amy Redlinski has all the details on The Next Generation.
1: Young leaders worldwide are enjoying a real moment. In 2017, in New Zealand, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern became the world's youngest head of government at 37. Santa Marin in Finland is the current youngest sitting Prime Minister. El Salvador's President Bukele is often called Latin America's first presidential millennial. He won his race at 38 in 2019. Also, Ukraine's Prime Minister had reportedly just three months of government experience when he was appointed in 2019 at age 35. His boss, President Zelensky, is 43. Of the 1.8 billion young people in the world today, 90% of them live in developing countries. Their homes are often in countries where rising violent extremism, unemployment, climate change, and many other issues call for urgent investment. In Libya, for example, the size of the youth population is unprecedented. It's 67%. Fighting from the country's ongoing civil war and the risk of the pandemic, has closed hundreds of much-needed schools. Now add, the fog of disinformation can make it tough for anyone to know what to believe.
0: So where do we begin? Anis Elowalani is the Senior Program Manager in Libya for the National Democratic Institute. He is a graduate of Tripoli schools and joins us now to talk about the youth of his homeland and an innovative program aimed at the Boy Scouts and Girl Guides of Libya. First of all, what was it like for you growing up in Libya?
2: it was funny, it was adventure a little bit. So uh, growing up in like a med class family, we faced a lot of issues and problems during the Gaddafi regime. My parents tried to invest in me and my brothers and sisters to keep studying, to build ourselves, to build our capacity, to not waiting for anything we provide for you. It was difficult a little bit. We didn't have that much of entertainment. As you know, dictatorship in Libya was very difficult. So you have certain amount of entertainment, activity that you could do easily and freely. Uh, so scout was uh, my way to have, like fun.
0: I was a Girl Scout, so I, I certainly appreciate that. It really changes your life. <laughs> Once a scout, always a scout. Exactly. Can you briefly tell us a little bit more about the disinformation problem in Libya and the region? and why it is important to raise awareness among the youth?
2: So basically in the region uh, for the last 10 years, it was a big problem. Many people now start using social media. Internet was uh, the easy way to escape from reality. People start using social media and internet to spread rumors, creating more attention. People who are looking for attention, they just are like trying to create any problem that could cause problems to other people. So they use the social media as a platform for this kind of poison. Uh, Recently with the Arab Spring and old revolution, the civil war happening in the region, people start using these platforms to hate each other, to create more conflict, to build the heat more than build peace. So it was like one of the biggest reasons for the conflict and problems happening in the, the whole region because of the disinformation and the fake news that was like, pointing the situation, create more problems, create more conflict. Uh, not supporting the people to get healed from what happened during the wars, but they are more making difficult, more complicated, uh, making people more involved in conflict. They have no reason to be there. People lost their lives, lost their jobs. People have been hurt a lot by this kind of disinformation. People being accused to be this and that, and they face a lot of problems because of this. And the region is different than like Europe or U.S. or other countries. So the reputation is very important. The main idea of the program, this is, will like try to make people understand more how they can find their information, the right information, which source, how you can do fact checking, how to understand this is not a reliable source. So we try to raise awareness among young generation to try to like do the fact checking to understand not everything you see in the social media or internet that you can share and you believe you need to do more fact checking, understanding which source you use for your information, not everything you read, it's true. So you need to do a little bit of work to understand the real information from the fake information, because this is, could cause a problem for many people. And some people like rely on this, even in their like spooling, like when they are study, any information they find they could use without doing fact checking, like this information is true or not.
0: So what made you think about the, the Boy Scouts and the Girl Guides?
2: In Libya, it's the most like uh, trusted organization. It's the largest, the oldest organization in the country. Uh, start during the kingdom days. So it's uh, covering all of Libya's soil. Uh, We have a huge number of uh, boys and Girl Scouts in Libya. They are very active. They try to help their community. They are trusted from the community. So when we start talking to the leadership of uh, Boy Scouts in Tripoli, we explain about the idea, how this project will be, how we're going to do campaign, how much the scouts are trusted from the community. So the scouts themselves, they already start planning on something about this. They start this campaign after working uh, with us on this project called Khairan uh, in Arabic. So it's say good, don't say like uh, bad things. If you want to say something, just say something good or you didn't say. So we start with the nine cities in Libya. Uh, we start delivering training, but as you know, with the COVID and the pandemic and the curfew, sometimes like that, it was difficult. So we now, we do more activity on social media. We start doing some videos from Boy Scouts and Girl Guides in different uh, cities to try to raise awareness about the, how much is very bad, that to share bad news, how much is hurt when you say fake information and people will believe it, and this is going to affect my future as a kid. So we try to work with the Scout because they are the most trusted organization in the country. So they try to start the campaign on ground with the precaution of the COVID procedure. So now they are working to do some videos. They try to do some uh, radio station shows. They try to do some flash mob in certain areas. They will try to do it in school. School are coming back soon. So they will try in each age, they will try to, to share this knowledge with other children and uh, they will try to share it with their parents, with their family. They will try to videos. We planning to do some uh, metal like graffiti on the wall. We will do like art gallery, like drawing about all the fake news and disinformation. Uh, soon we're going to launch two games, inshallah, about the info integrity and the fake news. So the young generation in, in this time, it's different than young generation, like, um, like 10 years ago. So the kids in this time, they are aware of a lot of uh, technology. They're using internet more than the older generation, so when you, t- when you explain about them, how you take your information, which source, so you'll be surprised. Like they know Wikipedia, you know how to Google, they know like uh, some like news channel, website, not the TV channel, but the website. So they have a lot of info about like how to get their information. They know like, uh, oh, this celebrity, they have the blue side. So this is an official account. So we may trust this account. Oh, this is musician and etc. So it wasn't difficult. Actually, it was difficult with maybe the older people. Uh, when we deliver training for some leaders in older age, they don't have the same knowledge. They don't have the same background than the young generation.
0: You actually trained the scout leaders, and they trained their scouts.
2: We start with the leaders from both genders, uh, from nine cities, so from south and west and uh, center. Uh, Soon we'll have leaders from the east and uh, east and uh, south. We'll have to have more diversity, to have more representation. Uh, then we start uh, delivering training for the young generation. Myself, I trained around 55 something uh, between boys and girls in young age, like uh, starting from six years old and until 14 and 15 and some like teenagers as well. So uh, it was a great experience. Children, they have much knowledge. Uh, they are motivated to learn new things. They try to practice. They try to share this knowledge. It sounds like fun too. Yeah, exactly, because we use games. So even the activity that we conduct, it's through games. Not just like, okay, the fake news is blah blah blah. We are not in schools or traditional schools. So we try to make it more funny.
0: It sounds like it will stay with them for their life too, for their lifetime.
2: Kids, they start like sending like a message to the through the Facebook page, like, hey. We know this is not official uh, source, so we don't read it anymore. Like we don't watch this channel because we don't know if it's uh, like stealing this cartoon or not. So children, they get, they reflected on their own life, what they see. And when they share it with their parents, they try to see what's, what their parents, they do right and what they do it wrong. Because not everything we saw on TV or radio or like website or social media, it's real or official. So this is, uh, will be a good impact on the children and their parents as well.
0: What advice do you give other organizations looking to engage with youth politically?
2: In Libya, as you know, we still have like new life of uh, politics. We didn't have any political life before like uh, 10 years ago. So many people now targeting the young or the youth in general, because the majority of Libya is youth. It's more than 66% of the population our young generation, they are so huge. So my advice is that to keep focusing more about building your capacity, finding the best career to be, if you want to be involved, like in politics, learn more, uh, do not be the fuel of war. Because many people using the young generation as a fuel for conflict, but you cannot find many of them like exist in parliament or municipality or in like government or cabinet and et cetera. So it's really sad to see like the most highest like treasure the nation have and they just farm it on the ground because they aiming to have more like influence.
0: It's excellent advice and we certainly don't want children anywhere to be fuel for war. So excellently said. Anise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now we head about 3,000 miles northwest from Libya to Ukraine. Gio is the deputy country director for the International Foundation for Electoral Systems in Ukraine and the technical lead on civic education. After a USAID-engaged civic poll showed that the number of people turning out to support democracy in Ukraine was the lowest among younger citizens, Guillaume and his team created and introduced an interactive, semester-long civics class with funding from USAID and launched it at accredited universities throughout the country. Guillaume is here now to tell us why he thinks youth engagement might have been so poor for so long.
3: Thank you for having me, Adrian. Uh, It is actually an auspicious day to have this conversation because it is now uh, Ukraine's 30th anniversary of its independence from the Soviet Union. And over this period, young people have played a critical role in championing democratic progress for their nation. It was just over seven years ago that Ukraine experienced its revolution of dignity. At that time, thousands of brave Ukrainians took to the streets to demand their right to choose their own future and a better tomorrow. Many, including young people, sacrificed their own lives in pursuit of this goal. With this recent history in mind and on the face of it, Uh, The research finding you reference, which points to a lower level of engagement of youth, does indeed stand out. And uh, in response to your question, I would posit that notwithstanding progress in key areas in Ukraine, such as electoral reform, for many Ukrainians and especially youth, the pace of post-revolution reform over these seven years has not necessarily met their expectations disenchantment with what many saw as a muzzled battle against corruption and stalled judicial efforts, among other areas, continue to pervade society to this day. On top of this, young people did not have educational opportunities to learn about their rights and responsibilities as democratic citizens, and thus many young people I spoke with, while hopeful, felt frustrated and powerless. Many expressed a strong desire to contribute to ongoing reforms, and more broadly, to their societies. But we're not always sure where to start.
0: So you thought a university-level course might help. What, what does the curriculum cover?
3: Indeed, yeah. We, we believe strongly that education, in particular civic education, is a linchpin in building inclusive, resilient, and sustainable democracies that deliver for all. When done right, civic education empowers individuals to meaningfully engage in their country's democracy because without effective civic education, the opportunity for disinformation, corruption, and electoral fraud increases. The course itself is tailored for Ukraine by representatives of Ukrainian civil society and academia, and it's based on IFIS's global university-level civic education methodology named SEED, which stands for Strengthening Engagement through Education for Democracy. The coursework introduces students to fundamental concepts of democratic citizenship, systems of governance, civic participation, and human rights. It does so through a highly interactive, student-centered learning environment that prioritizes active learning and critical thinking. Through the course, each semester, students develop their own civic action projects wherein they identify problems within their communities that they try and improve. Then they bring these plans to life and actually go beyond the classroom and go on to make positive impacts in their own communities. These have included projects that have addressed gender-based violence, minority rights, corruption, voter education, and global warming to name just a few. The interactive teaching methodology and action projects that I mentioned are designed to not only teach students about democracy, but to also help students experience democracy in and beyond their own classrooms.
0: That's quite a class. What kind of students are you finding enroll in this class? What are their ambitions?
3: Well, it's it's a good question. Thanks to uh, the support of the United States Agency for International Development, USAID, Global Affairs Canada, and UKAID from the UK government, The course is now available throughout the country to over 39 universities and growing. Uh, So, now thousands of students in all types of universities from the medical university to the law university, from Kharkiv in the east to Lviv in the west to Odessa in the south. Students all over Ukraine now get the experience of this type of modern interactive civic education course. So, it really, really has the broad spectrum of passionate, motivated, talented Ukrainian youth who are taking this class, and many have already gone on to do amazing things. And I would also uh, want to point out that through this entire experience, we've had the benefit of meeting and partnering with incredible university-level civic educators throughout Ukraine and professors who are incredibly passionate and are really the foundation of strengthening Ukrainian democracy and really strengthening Ukraine's future. And we see It in their work, we see it in their classrooms every day.
0: Well, we certainly know that's important, but why is it important to have these courses for university students?
3: Ideally, democratic civic education should start as early as possible and continue throughout the course of our academic journeys. Unfortunately, it is also often overlooked by nations, and because of this, its absence becomes the Achilles heel for developing and mature democracies worldwide. In Ukraine, the percentage of youth enrolled in university is very high comparatively. And it also includes an age range that is, for the first time, having the possibility to vote in elections and to engage in civic life more deeply. We were also very fortunate to receive strong support from Ukraine's Ministry of Education and Sciences, as well as our university partners. On this question, it's also important to note that While Ukraine and other regions in the area aspire toward greater European integration, its formal structures of education are too often hampered by a Soviet legacy of strict punitive relations of power between students and teachers, a structure that often prioritized memorization and passive learning over student-centered interactive teaching that stimulates soft and hard skills like critical thinking and digital literacy, for example.
0: And I'm sure we have plenty of teachers listening who will agree with that. What can you tell us about what your alumni of this program have gone on to do? Do you track them? Do you know where they are?
3: Yeah, we've, we've had the fortune of uh, meeting with many students, with many teachers. We, of course, uh, evaluate coursework itself and the teaching methodology that we use. And through a range of the tools we have, we have been able to demonstrate that students really uh, analytically gained knowledge and skills and attitudes that they themselves identify as being essential for them to, for example, monitor and hold their governments more accountable, to protect their own rights, to protect the rights of others, and to be uh, a successful citizen and a informed citizen in the digital age. And now, with thousands of students across the country, over 39 universities. And for us, uh, this is something that really fuels us. It gives us energy when we get to experience uh, the teachers, when we get to experience the students. And in the context and in the framework of what we see globally, of democracy under attack, of the threats that are very much real and in some sense increasing over the years to democracy, this truly gives all of us at IFIS a sense of hope as we see today's and tomorrow's leaders really taking on the mantle, understanding that, yes, democracy is messy, it's difficult, but that it is really the responsibility of each generation to defend it, to uphold it, and to make sure it survives for our children, for our grandchildren, and so on.
0: Do you know if any of your students have run for office?
3: Yes, we have had some that have Uh, went into politics we have some that have gone into election administration we have others that went into other spheres the human rights defenders so there are many examples of students taking uh, what they learned in the course and applying it uh, to their everyday lives and what we have seen over the last multiple decades uh, as IPIS, and that is that effective civic education is essential it's not an option it's essential for resilient, for robust democracies. And indeed, it has never been uh, arguably no time as important as it is today with all of the threats that we see to democracy in today's reality with the onset of the digital age. So my message, my my call-out, my shout-out is for for all of us, irrespective of where we live, irrespective of how many years perhaps we have had free and fair elections, we must all take a very deep look into our own educational structures and critically consider, are we doing enough? Can we do more? And if not, where do our youth, where do our students, where do they learn about democracy? How do they understand their own role vis-a-vis society and with all of the various distractions we all have nowadays? And if the answer is we can do more, I think we should all roll up our sleeves and and see what we can do to realize this and to secure our democracies and and even go beyond securing it to make them more resilient.
0: Guillaume, thank you for these important words on education. We really appreciate you joining us today.
3: Thank you very much, Adrienne. It was my pleasure to join you.
0: We turn now to a recent college grad to talk more about getting people into politics at an earlier age. Malik Sekic is the president of the European Democracy Youth Network, which is supported by SEPs Partners. Molik graduated this year from the College of Computer Science and Business Communications Empirica in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and hosts one of the country's most popular podcasts where he talks to inspiring young leaders. Malik joins me now and shares some tough talk on the serious challenges facing his friends and explains what drives him to be so politically engaged.
4: We are. I would say uh, still going to the transition process of, of like the former I would say communist uh, countries and like even though like most of the countries here have their like democratic systems for over thirty years you have still have like the politicians from the former systems uh, being involved within the government and like it's not working really well well because they are used to something else if you're a young person from uh, mostly eastern europe from the balkans and and like you're able to see this like your whole life and and like your whole life is just a series of bad events here if that happens every day something like at the age of like 16 15 17 uh, just snaps within your <laughs> like head i would say and and it gets you to be involved and i would say like the series of bad events that is happening within our countries on a daily basis It just gets you going to be involved with everything here.
0: Is that what happened to you?
4: Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, I was born within a family. Like, my father was killed in a war five months before I was born. He was fighting for the democracy of of this country, like our country was attacked. And he was fighting for, like, a better future of, like, me, my mom, and, like, my family members. Seeing like that almost, I don't know, 10, 15 years and 20 years after, after he died, unfortunately, not a lot of things have changed. And a lot of people who were bad people during that period are still involved with the government and like it, it's just like somewhere in your head, it's, it's unfair. And like, it gives you like, I would say fuel to be involved with everything here and like just to see, like, that someone who fought for the freedom of, of this country hasn't done it for, for nothing. Like, I would say the fight for democracy never stopped. It just changes the way we f- fight with it. But, like, it will never stop. You will always have, I would say, bad people who want to be involved with this in, in a different way. But you, you have to keep on fighting.
0: Do you feel like you're carrying your dad's legacy forward?
4: I don't know. I'm not sure like at this point that I have to give a life for my country because we're not in a war or anything, but like, I feel that I have to give, give like myself, but like with all of my resources and everything that I do. And that is why I try to be involved in like as many organizations as possible here and, and like try to especially work with young people. It's important to, like, be on the side which will try to empower as much as possible of younger generations in order to, like, keep fighting because, like, younger generations are the future of this country. like And if we keep on losing them, all of this will, like, break apart.
0: Do you think that that hopelessness is the number one complaint you hear from peers in your country?
4: The number one problem of young people here. It's about unemployment. It's about, like I would say, not seeing a better future.
0: Where do you tell your peers to start?
4: I think getting started is definitely the hardest part of this job, like the hardest part of uh, 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 like any civil activities here. Because if you get started with doing something here, a lot of people who are, as I mentioned, sick of this country will tell you, yeah, like you don't have to do this. Everybody hates you here. You're not going to change anything. You, and, and like, if you're on your first day of your civil activities, you will have at least 20 to 30 people telling you that is a bad idea. <laughs> that is like a number one issue with starting here because that is what gets all of those, I would say, huge number of people who want to be a part of it just to step back. And like... Uh, uh, yeah, and Yeah. And also... We are used to it, but with, with like the, by the older generations, like if you start doing something, you should see a change overnight that mostly never happens. Like, especially if, if it's about the government or something like, sometimes you, you like, uh, uh need a whole mandate just to like clean the mess up. But I wanted to mention something else. Like we work with young people, we, uh, try to teach them a, a, a about like personal responsibility like like e- even though like this is this is a country like there's millions of people involved but, but like if if you start working on yourself I think Jordan Peterson said that like if if you make your bed in the morning you you'll definitely be able to uh, change the world at some point because if you start doing it with yourself with like the smallest steps in your life and like if all of us did this like if all of us just cleaned our backyards every morning this would be a better country and like we start with like t- teaching that just uh, uh, start with the smallest steps from the point like when you wake up that way you will have like a m- momentum of, of of like good examples happening from like day 1 and, and and like everything else after that will just be a bigger accomplishment
0: well i think that's really aspirational but if we were to break it down a little bit what what would you tell people to do first everyone doesn't have to run for office right
4: not every one of us could be the president, especially like in the US, like you have over 200 million people, like not everybody could be the president, but like we keep forget forgetting like that the most important part of uh, uh, political organizations or, or, or like of any organizations are like your local organization, like start working like within your street, like within your house or like within your building with the uh, small problems that you have around yourself. And Maybe like you will like fall in love with that part of politics, that part of like civil engagement. And that is the way to keep on going. Like a lot of us, when we start working, we get discouraged. Like if we are not like on the parliament list on for, for like after two years, like that's not going to happen because you have a lot of people who have been doing amazing job for like 10 to 15 years and, and, and like they've like set their names up and, and, and like. Uh, In order to go there, you have to start, like, with the smallest steps within, like, your local organization.
0: I think that's excellent advice. Malik, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic.
4: Thank you so much for inviting me. It was awesome.
0: Coming up on the next episode of Democracy, the podcast, we head to Tunisia, where some women have been breaking the government's glass ceiling since 1950s. But for others... Getting involved in the political process has been a bit more of a challenge. Here at the surprising transformation some women experienced when they finally had a chance to vote. We'll get their full story. That's ahead on our next episode of Democracy, the podcast. This podcast has been produced by the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening through the Global Elections and Political Transitions Award and is made possible by the generous support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development. Opinions expressed here are those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the U.S. government and is produced by AvoTERA and Simpler Media. For more information on Democracy, the podcast, and to access the complete archives, please visit www.seps.org forward slash podcast.